Andrew Womack Ministries presents this session from the 2013 Santa Clara, California Gospel Truth Rally. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Let's turn over to the book of John, chapter 3, and verse 16. Anybody know what that says? You know what? You can become so familiar with the scripture that you don't know what it says. And I think that this is the way that it is with John 3, 16. I've got a, I've got a book that in Uganda, we've now got half a million people a week that are going through this discipleship evangelism teaching. And there's 48 lessons in there and it just starts from the most basic Christianity goes up through every single thing and winds up teaching a person how to make disciples themselves. And so it, it, it's a loop. You go through this 48 lesson course and it comes back and teaches you how to disciple other people and just keep the thing going. So we now have over half a million people in Uganda using this. And I, I don't know, thousands and thousands of people all around the world. And the very first lesson in that teaching is what I'm gonna share with you tonight. And I have heard hundreds of testimonies that this just changed people's lives. Most people have the wrong concept about what salvation is and what the goal of salvation is. I had one of my employees one time who used to be a dope addict. And I mean, he was a hardcore dope addict in jail and different things. And he finally came to the end of himself and got born again. And he came immediately into my ministry and he did a lot of things and helped me do a lot of things. But this man listened to I don't know, five or 10 teachings a day. He was just consuming the word, trying to renew his mind. And after months of this, listening to hundreds of teachings, he came to me and he says, if you only had one opportunity to minister to a group of people, what would you minister? And you know, at first it threw me back because it depends on what your need is. If you need healing, I'd minister on healing. If you need salvation, I'd talk about what salvation is. If you haven't ever had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I'd minister on that. And I couldn't nail it down. And he says, but if you just could minister on one thing and everything else would come out of it, what would you minister? And I mean, after just a few moments, I said, I'd minister on this right here, what I'm gonna share with you. This is basic Christianity and sad to say the vast majority of Christians are not clear on this one issue. And I think that this is a root cause why we have so many problems in the body of Christ. So look at this in John chapter three, this is Jesus speaking. And let me read verse 15. Well, there's no good place to just start. But anyway, in verse 14, it says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let me say, first of all, what this verse does not say. This verse does not say that Jesus died for your sins so that you would not perish, period. It doesn't say that. This is the way that it's been read and this is the way it's interpreted and the vast majority of the body of Christ today is preaching to people that you need to come to the Lord and get your sins forgiven so that you won't go to hell and they say that's the gospel. That's not the gospel. 
That's not what this verse is teaching. Let me say this. Jesus did die for our sins so that we wouldn't go to hell. And that is a part of our salvation. And praise God, that is more than any of us deserve. And you know what? If that's all that there was to Christianity, I'd preach that because that's awesome. And that's more than we deserve. But that is not what Jesus was saying and that's not what this verse says. Let me say it this way. If Jesus could have accomplished his goal any other way without forgiving your sins, he would have done it. Forgiveness of sins is not the goal of salvation. And I know some of you right now are thinking, heresy. <laughs> because this is what the church is taught, that it's all about getting your sins forgiven. Getting your sins were like a wall, a barrier that stood between us and God. And they kept us separated from God. And so, yes, Jesus did die to forgive our sins. And that's important. I am not saying that he didn't do it. I'm not saying it's not essential. It's absolutely essential. But the goal wasn't to get your sins forgiven. And the goal wasn't so that you wouldn't perish. Now, that's important. Again, we have the promise that we are going to have eternity with the Lord and we will go to be with the Lord in heaven. And I am not saying that that doesn't exist. That is important. That's awesome. In the long term, our time in eternity is going to be so much more than our time here on the earth. And so ultimately that's the most important thing in one sense. But let me just say that if there wasn't a heaven or a hell, did you know this verse still would have proven that Jesus would have given himself for your sins because the goal of salvation isn't to not perish, but rather it's to have eternal life is what this says. It says that the reason Jesus died for our sins was so that we wouldn't perish, but the goal is to have eternal life or everlasting life. And people think, well, that's talking about heaven. No, it's not. Look right here in this chapter, in chapter 3, in verse uh, 39, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It's not something that starts when we die and go to heaven. It's something that is a present tense possession. And it just keeps saying this. I'll just give you a few of them here in chapter 5, John chapter 5. And in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. This is talking about that we will have all of these benefits in eternity, but right now we have everlasting life. In chapter 6 and in verse uh, 40, it says, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now that shows you that everlasting life isn't just something that starts in eternity in the sweet by and by, because it says they have everlasting life, and then I will raise them up at the last day. So that's a separate thing. In verse 47 of this same chapter, verse 6, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on, on um, me hath everlasting life. So everlasting life isn't living forever in eternity. Did you know Hitler is living forever? 
Every person who's ever breathed on this planet is still alive. They aren't alive in their same body, but they are, they still exist. You just go to either heaven or hell. And some people think, well, eternal life is going to heaven instead of hell. No, because eternal life is something that you have right now in this life. And so most people don't understand what eternal life is. They think it's going to heaven and living forever. And we sing these songs about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. But the average Christian right now doesn't have much tangible difference in their life in this life. And it's because Christianity has presented that what Jesus came to do was forgive your sins so that you wouldn't perish, but you could live forever in heaven. And even though those statements are true, that is not the purpose of salvation. This says the purpose of salvation is so that you might have everlasting life. So what is everlasting life? Look in John chapter 17. Let's just read what Jesus said everlasting life was. In John chapter 17, these are the words that he prayed the night before his crucifixion. He was in the garden of Gethsemane. And here's what Jesus said in verse, chapter 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son that thy son uh, also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And then in verse three, he defines what eternal life is. He's the author of eternal life, is what the scripture says. So it's just like you look it up. Here's the author of eternal life telling you the definition of eternal life. In verse three, this is life eternal that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That's eternal life is knowing God. And some people think, well, I thought it was more than that. I know God. And yet you still got problems and you still got all of these things and you aren't satisfied yet. And you think, I thought eternal life was more than that. This is talking about no in a different way than most of us use it. You know, in the Bible, it says like in Genesis chapter four, that Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore a son. And then it says Cain knew his wife and she conceived. And it says that like with Joseph and Mary, that Mary was found with child of the Holy Ghost before they came together. And it says that Joseph didn't know his wife. That's talking about the sexual relationship. It's talking about intimacy. I mean, in the physical realm, this is the closest intimacy you can have with a person is to know them is what that's talking about. So when it says that this is eternal life, that we might know him, this isn't just talking about an intellectual relationship with God, but it's talking about an intimate, close, personal relationship with God. So let me put all of this back together in John chapter three, verse 16. The reason God so loved the world and the reason that he loved us and the way he demonstrated it was he gave him his son for our sins so that we wouldn't perish, but have this intimacy with God, a personal relationship with God. Not in the sweet by and by, but in the rough now and now. <laughs> now we have eternal life. And so let me say it this way that if you came to the Lord and you confessed Him as your Savior to get your sins forgiven so that you wouldn't die and go to hell, but instead you would have a ticket to heaven, 
And if you don't have an intimate, close, personal relationship with Jesus to where He is your best friend and you feel His joy and His pleasure, then you are missing the purpose of salvation. The purpose of salvation isn't so that when you die, you won't go to hell, but instead go to heaven. Now that is a truth and praise God for it. But the purpose of salvation is to bring you into close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus where you know Him. You don't know about Him. You don't wait on somebody else to tell you what He's got to say, but you know Him personally and you are in contact with the Lord. This is what God desires. Here's another way of saying it is that God loved you so much that He wanted this personal relationship with you. And He died not thinking about eternity, although that's a part of it, and I'm not saying that that wasn't a part of the plan, but He died because He wants to have intimate, personal relationship. He loves you and wants relationship with you right now. And if you aren't having that, you are missing the purpose of salvation. And brothers and sisters, this is one of the reasons that the church hasn't made a greater impact on the world here in America than it has is because basically we're saying, repent or else, turn or burn, you're going to go to hell and you've got to get right with God. And even though that's a true statement, did you know that most people aren't thinking about eternity? They should be, but they aren't. They're thinking about the hell that they live in right now. I talked to one man here tonight who had so much physical pain that he was literally talking about suicide. And you know what? He's not thinking about eternity at the moment. He's just thinking about how do I deal with this pain? Some people are going through marriage problems. Some people are going through financial problems. All kinds of different things affecting you. And if you preach a message that repent or else, turn or burn, you need to accept Jesus or you're going to go to hell. Most people will think, man, how's that going to help me get through this week? And they just push it aside. The average American does not doubt that heaven and hell exist. Now we've got a media that does not reflect the views of Americans. I've seen a statistic that 95% of Americans believe in God. Now that doesn't mean that they're all saved by any means, but they do believe that there's a God and there's a heaven and a hell. But when it comes to the um, television networks, and the movies and stuff like this, it's exactly inverted. 95% of the people that are making the news and controlling the media that we watch are atheist or agnostic. And some of them have openly stated that they are out to change the Judeo-Christian ethics of the United States. And so our media reflects that, you know, everybody's ungodly and all of this stuff. They give a disproportional voice to these minority groups and they make you think that everybody's like this, and that's not true. The statistics show that the majority of Americans believe in heaven and hell. They believe that there's a God, but the vast majority of them do not have a relationship with Him because the church hasn't presented relationship with God in this life as the goal of salvation. They've presented, get your sins forgiven so that you won't go to hell. And the average person is planning on doing it someday but they just got so much stuff right now that they're dealing with that they keep putting it off and someday they plan on getting right with God. But see, if the church was pre preaching salvation the way that the Bible presents it, the way that John 3, 16, 
God loved you so much that He wants relationship with you, intimate relationship right now, not in eternity. Of course, that'll happen in eternity, but right now, He wants relationship with you and He loves you. And if the church was living this and presenting this as the message, I guarantee you people would be cutting holes in the roof to let people in here to try and get hold of that kind of thing. You know, I've actually been in Rome when I was 18 years old and I remember going through the Circus Maximus and through the Colosseum and they were telling about when the Christians were martyred there. And there are physical accounts that when the Christians were burned at the stake, they would sharpen these stakes and ram it up through a person and impale them and then burn them at the stake. They threw them to animals. They crucified them. They did all kinds of things. And there are physical accounts of the Christians fighting each other to see who got to go out and die for the glory of the Lord. They actually fought each other because they loved God so much and that they wanted to be identified with Him even though it cost their life. Did you know that the average American Christian would be fighting to see who didn't go out (laughs) to die because we don't have the depth of relationship. But because of that, one of the reasons that they quit persecuting the Christians is because it's an actual recorded fact that Nero literally got so upset, he put his fingers in his ears and he says, why do these Christians sing as they die, as they're in terrible pain and burn at the stake? They had such a relationship with God. You know, anybody can sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul, here in this convention center. But if you're being burned at the stake or some animal is tearing you to pieces, could you sing, bless the Lord, oh my soul? You could if you had a great relationship, if you knew him the way that these people knew God. And because of it, Nero physically put his fingers in his ears and said, why must these Christians sing? And one of the reasons they quit the persecution of Christians is because it's a recorded fact that for every one person that died, they would average seven Romans jumping out of the stands and going out and kneeling down and accepting the Lord because they wanted the joy that they saw in these people. They wanted that relationship. And one reason they quit crucifying them is because there were so many people converting to the Lord as they saw the joy of the Lord on the faces of these people. I'm not saying this to criticize, I'm saying it to open up our eyes, but brothers and sisters, there's, you know, there's, I don't know how many people in here, a thousand people or whatever, but I can guarantee you there's not a thousand people in here that would have that joy. There's not a thousand people in here that if somebody just criticizes you and at the water cooler, you say something about the Lord and they roll their eyes, that that's enough to make you fall apart and get discouraged because people rejected you. I'm not saying that to hurt you, but I'm saying, you know what? That's a a shallow relationship. And one of the reasons that we have that is because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We have not been preaching that the Lord wants intimate, close, personal relationship with you. It's been put off. And we sing songs about in the sweet by and by. Further along, we'll know all about it. But in the rough now and now, most Christians just don't expect much. We're holding on until we die and go to be with the Lord. And then it's going to be awesome. But the scriptures teach that God gave himself and he wants a personal, intimate relationship with you right now. And if you've not ever heard this from Scripture, then you won't have faith for it. 
Most of us, you may not phrase it this way, but most people believe that God had pity on us because we were in such a mess and Jesus died and he took away our sins. And someday when we get to heaven, then we will be able to fellowship with the Lord. Then it's going to be awesome. We sing about all of those things in heaven, but the truth is the average Christian believes I'm just a poor wayfaring pilgrim, a trudging through the world and that it's terrible and we expect problems and we expect all of this and we don't expect a victorious, joyful life. Here and, and a lot of that's come because people have changed the message from God died for your sins so that you could have eternal life, intimate relationship with Him. And we've said it's because Jesus died for your sins so that when you go to heaven, things could get better. But Jesus told us to pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You can experience God right now in a supernatural way that it just overwhelms you. And I know many of you are thinking, ah, oh, this isn't practical. This is one of those sermons, but it, it doesn't work. Well, don't wake me up because this is how I'm living. You know, just a quick testimony. I could give a lot more testimony, but I, I had the Lord supernaturally reveal Himself to me March the 23rd, 1968. And I began to experience eternal life. God was so real to me. He was more real to me than I was real to me. More real than what I could see or feel. I fell in love with God. And I mean, I became an instant, stark, raving, mad fanatic. And I got drafted and sent to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, a lot of things happened. But actually, I had people 20 years after I got out of Vietnam give me this book and asked me to read it because it had 12 testimonies of Vietnam vets in there. And I've never cared anything about reading stuff about Vietnam, but I, his testimony was in there. He signed the book and I knew he was going to ask me the next night if I had read it. So when I went back to my hotel room, I was in Chicago, I sat down and read his testimony and it was absolutely powerful. It was awesome. So I thought I'll read another one and it was powerful. And I wound up reading the whole book. I stayed up all night long and read that book. And the thing that amazed me, three of them were there the exact same time I was there. Two of them were in the AmeriCal division, the same division that I was in. And one of them, I, I can't prove it, but he was talking about being on a fire support base as it was overrun and it was overlooking the Laotian border. I think I was there when he was writing about it. I was a chaplain's assistant and we, the chaplain and I flew in and were at this base and it was an area that was smaller than this auditorium. And in the two or three hours we were there, we took 175 direct mortar hits inside our perimeter while I was there. And you could see the muzzle fire from the uh, Vietnamese weapons as they came up the hill. And they pulled us out right before that hill was overrun and nearly every person on that hill was killed. And he was talking about this and he was describing it from the perspective of an unbeliever. And as he wrote about it, 20 years later, seeing it through the eyes of an unbeliever, fear came on me. I mean, I had to pray fear off of me because I saw through his eyes what it was like and the people that were dying all around him. But I remember what I was thinking when that happened. 
I had my M16 pointed down the hill at these guys, and if they'd have gotten close enough, I'd have fired. They didn't, so I didn't have to shoot anybody. But I mean, I was ready and prepared, and I can tell you what was going through my mind. I was thinking, God, this is awesome. This is awesome. I said, I could be in heaven before the night's over. I said, I could see you face to face. And I was so excited thinking that, man, today could be the day that I get to see Jesus. And I was actually excited. I was thrilled. And I was praying for the Vietnamese. I said, God, I know where I'm going, but what's going to happen to them? And I was praying for these people that I was about to shoot. And I was praying, oh God, reveal yourself. And I just felt love and compassion flow out of me. It was like I was in a bubble. And they were trying to kill me. And I just felt love and compassion for the very people that were killing me. I was so in love with God that it really didn't matter if I died. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul said. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain, I would rather go and be with the Lord. And I know some of you think I'm weird. But I think you're weird. (laughs) I think you, being so bummed out over all of these little incidental things, it's an indication that you don't know Jesus, that you don't have this intimate relationship. I'm not saying that you aren't born again, but that you haven't entered into this intimate relationship. You know, I was talking to another person tonight, and they were dealing with rejection and different things. And I said, you know, the antidote for that is to know how much Jesus loves you. And if you ever, ever, ever understand how much Jesus loves you, who gives a rip what anybody else has to say? Amen. And again, some of you think, well, that's easy to say, but that's not practical. That's how I live my life. I've got a relationship with the Lord and God is constantly ministering to me and telling me how much He loves me. And you know, because of that, I have stood against people. I've stood against relatives. I've stood against a lot of criticism and things. And I can honestly tell you, it's like water off a duck's back because God loves me. And compared to God, you're nobody. You know what? I don't want anybody to dislike me today. I'd love it if everybody here just thought this is awesome and it changed your life the way it's changed mine. And if you come up and if you criticize me and say, I don't like you and I don't like anything about you and I don't like your Texas accent and I don't like this and (laughs) you can talk about whatever you want to, it's not going to bless me. But you know what? I'll sleep good tonight (laughs) because ultimately I just don't place that much value on you and your opinion. That's not to say that I don't love people, but compared to God, you're nobody. I had a man walk up to me one time and he got to criticizing my wife and the way she dressed. And my wife always dresses nice. She's always discreet. She looks nice, dresses nice, but he was Pentecostal and she had on jewelry and she wore makeup and didn't have her hair up in a bun and stuff. And so because of this, he thought she was dressed ungodly. And so he just started reaming me out and saying, you need to get your wife in order and you need to make her do this and this and this. And I just stopped him right in the middle. And I said, who died and made you God? (laughs) And he just looked at me and he says, what are you saying? And I said, you know what? I don't give a rip what you think. I said, God loves me and God loves my wife. And so who are you? (laughs) And he got offended and walked off. But you can get to a place where God loves you. If 
God Almighty loves you. Then who cares if somebody else doesn't love you? In comparison to God, they're nobody. They're nobody. And I don't care if it's your husband or your wife. I'm not saying that you don't love them and esteem them, but compared to God, nobody ought to be in competition. And you can get to where the fact that God loves you so much that even though your mate doesn't love you, your children doesn't, don't love you, your dog bit you, who cares what happens? <laughs> you can get to a place that, man, God, you love me. That's what happened to me. They were trying to kill me and it looked like I was gonna die. And I was thinking, this is awesome. <laughs> Jesus, I could be with you before the night's out. And again, I know some of you think I'm weird, but I think you're weird. This is what Jesus has made available to us. This is what salvation is all about. And if we had this same relationship and if people were enjoying the presence of the Lord and when everybody else is griping about the traffic and griping about the weather and griping about politics and talking about all of these natural things, you ought to just be saying, isn't God awesome? Isn't God wonderful? Man, isn't it great that even though we're in a quote-unquote recession, that doesn't affect God. He said He'd supply all of our need according to His riches and glory. It doesn't matter what goes on in this economy. I'm going to prosper. We're in the midst of building a $53 million building. I'm doing it all debt-free, and it's done during a recession, and we've more than had to double our income, and you know what? We're on target. We're $7 million away from having that done. And we're still 10 months in, in advance. I know some of you think, well, it doesn't work that way. Well, it won't work for you because you don't believe it. <laughs> but you can get to a place where God loves you and you can rejoice even though you're in a quote unquote recession. And if nothing ever worked, if for whatever reason you didn't see your faith produce and if you didn't prosper in this life, then you could close your eyes and just think about heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. I'm going to live in a mansion. I'm going to have streets that are paved with gold. And you can think about that. And there's no reason for you to be depressed. I don't care if you never saw your finances come to pass. You know, the Lord has promised that He'd heal us by His stripes. And I believe in healing. We've seen a bunch of people heal today already. And we're going to see more healed tonight. I believe in healing. But you know what? If you never saw healing, you still ought to be able to rejoice because you are going to go to a place where there's not going to be any more sorrow, crying, pain. There's not going to be any sickness, no disease. We sing about when we all get to heaven and then the doctor tells you you're going and you start crying. <laughs> Something's wrong with this picture. If we believed what we said, if we were really enjoying the presence of the Lord, you'd be like the Apostle Paul. It says, man, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, but it's more necessary that I stay here for you. So I'll stay here because you need me. But if he'd have just done what he'd have wanted to, man, he'd have been gone. There's been times that honestly, I've had to use my faith to say, Father, I've got to stay here. I know you've got a purpose for me, but I would be glad to be gone. I am not fearing death. If you fear death, if you fear the future, if you're worried about your retirement, if you're worried about the recession, if you're worried about all of these things, it's again an indication of your deficiency in understanding how much God loves you. He wants to fellowship with you and He wants to fill you so full of His joy. Who cares what anybody else thinks? Who cares what's going on? 
They're going to repossess your car. Oh, who gives a rip? Man, God loves me. But this person's, you know, I had a, I, I go to Charlotte, North Carolina every year. And one of my partners owns a business with about 30 or 40 employees. And he always asks me to come speak to his employees. And so I sit down and he tells them the, the clock's running. You're being paid. Listen to this guy as long as he wants to talk. And I just talked to him and preached to him. And anyway, there was a woman that, uh, this is a number of years ago, this woman had tried to commit suicide the day before because she was in her fourth marriage and her husband had just told her he was going to divorce her. And she was so bothered by this that she thought she just couldn't live. So she, was, she tried to commit suicide. And this was her first day back at work. And after I got through talking to everybody, the boss let me go into their break room and every person could come back and talk to me and I got to minister to every single person. And we saw like 10 out of the 30 born again, saw a lot of miracles happen and things. And this one woman came back who had tried to commit suicide and she told me her situation. She was an alcoholic, had all kinds of problems, was dirt poor. I went over to her house afterwards and I mean, it was, there's not a person in here that doesn't have a nicer place than she did. She was nearly out on the street. And it was just a terrible situation. Her whole life was a mess. And she got to telling me about it. And then she said, and my husband told me he was going to divorce me. And she started crying. And she says, I just can't stand it if I go through another divorce. Would you please pray for me? And she had told me that she wasn't born again. She says, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this building business, but I know that prayer works. Would you please pray for me that God would save this marriage? I just couldn't live if I go through another divorce. And I just stopped this woman and I said, now let me make sure I've understood this. You aren't a Christian and you know that you aren't a Christian. And she said, that's right. I said, if you were to die right this moment, you would go to hell. And she said, that's right. <laughs> and I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage to be saved instead of praying that you will be saved. And she said, yes. And I said, lady, don't you realize that after you've been in hell for a thousand years, you won't give a rip whether this marriage worked or not. <laughs> Who cares about your marriage? You need to get saved. And you know, it's just like I slapped her. She just stopped and she looked at me. She quit crying. She says, I think you're right. <laughs> and I prayed with her and she got born again. And then we prayed for her marriage. But see what I'm saying, there's many of you who say, well, I would rejoice, but you don't understand I'm going through a divorce. And you think that that's reason for you to just fall apart like a $2 suitcase and be depressed and discouraged because you're going through a divorce. Well, I admit that a divorce is a bad thing and I believe that God wants to heal your marriage and I can pray with you about that. But you know what? If you never saw it happen, you're going to live forever in eternity and God himself will fellowship with you and have so much joy in your heart. How could you be depressed even if your mate leaves you? Thank you for both of those amens. <laughs> Not many people, see, most people like have a fence around them and they say, well, if it's within these limits, if it's a, you know, a, my fingernail broke, I'm gonna still praise God, amen. <laughs> person cut me off in traffic, but I'm going to still praise God. My son told me this week that he's now gone five days without complaining about the traffic and he was just so proud of himself. <laughs> and see, as long as it's within these confines, as long as it's minor, 
well, then, yeah, you're supposed to praise God and bless the Lord at all times. But if you're going through a divorce or if the doctor told you that you're going to die or if you're having financial crisis or if you're, there's a potential layoff at your job, you can't rejoice in those things. That's not true. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And brothers and sisters, I'm trying to tell you that if you ever access this eternal life, this relationship where you are fellowshipping with God and feeling His pleasure, you'll just get to a place where it really doesn't matter about all of this stuff. It's not the pressures without that's the problem. It's the vacuum within. You know, when I was in the sixth grade, my sixth grade teacher took a one-gallon metal gas can, heated it on a Brunson burner, and got it red hot and then screwed the lid on and set it on his desk. And I was sitting on the front row right in front of this. And then he just went to teaching. And of course, what he was trying to illustrate is that hot air expands and occupies a larger volume than cold air. So as this thing cooled off, the air inside condensed and it formed a partial vacuum inside of that can. And nobody touched it, but that can began to pop and crack and it actually doubled in two and fell off. And I was looking at it on the floor right in front. I mean, it's just like somebody took the thing with a hammer and it was crushed by just normal atmospheric pressure. Normally that wouldn't affect the can if the pressure inside was as great as the pressure outside. But when you create a, vo a vacuum, then just the normal atmospheric pressure was enough to crush it. And this is what's happened to people today. It's not the fact that this world is worse than it's ever been. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that ha is happening that hasn't already happened. The devil just puts a different wrapper and a different bow on it, but it's the exact same thing. People talk about, man, young people today are under so much pressure. They're suffering things that we've never suffered. That's not true. It's the same thing. The Bible says there is no temptation. You 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. That means there are no unique temptations and new unique problems. People say, but oh, kids today have problems that we've never faced. I've got a friend over in England that when he was four years old, they were bombing England during World War II and they took thousands of kids out of the city and put them in fields in tents. And for three years, they lived in groups of a hundred in open fields without parents, just some adults that would come through and supervise them and they lived that way for years. Don't tell me the kids have worse problems than that today. Man, I guarantee you, we, the reason that things are so hard on us and we can't handle it because I don't have the designer marks on my jeans. I don't have the shoes that light up when I walk and because of it, it justifies me being a triple murderer and rapist because after all the pressure. That's not true. It's the vacuum within and it's because the church hasn't been telling people about this intimate relationship with God. Again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you don't have it as a goal, if you think that everything for the Christian is off in the future and if you aren't accessing this intimate, this eternal life with God, then that's the reason that people have so much vacuum. That's the reason that people cutting you off in traffic is enough to spoil your whole day. Just pull your thumb out of your mouth and grow up. 
Amen. Look at this verse in Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 is telling us what's going on in heaven right now. It says that this is happening 24 hours a day, every day, right now, not just in the future. And it talks about the 24 elders and the four living beasts that just worship God day and night. And every time they worship God, the 24 elders fall on their face and throw their crowns before the Lord. And here's what they're saying in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. And the four and 20 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, here's what they're saying. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Now this is really significant the way that it says it. It says that everything was created for God's pleasure and that's what they originally were created for and they are created for. Now that's significant because a lot of things changed after sin. Did you know money wasn't created by God? Money is a man-made system and yet God will bless money and help you and prosper you and get your needs supplied. But that's a man-made system. Government, we pray over our government and want this person elected and that. But did you know government is a man-made system? It wasn't God's original intent. Did you know that the church, as much as I believe in the church, and it is the foundation, it's the body of Christ. The church is good, but the church is a result of sin. If there hadn't been sin entered into the world, the word church means called out ones. There wouldn't be any need to call people out if everybody was still in fellowship with God. The church, and as important as it is, is a result of sin. But something that was in the original creation and still is the same is that God made you for His pleasure. God wants to have relationship with you. God loves you. He wants relationship with you. Not in the future, right now, eternal life. God is love is what it says in 1 John 4, 8. And any person who loves has a need for that love to be returned. In that sense, God has a need. God needs, He wants us to love Him. And He gave His Son to wipe away the barrier, the sin barrier that separated us, not so that just in eternity we could know Him, but right now we could have eternal life. God wants relationship with you. God loves you so much that He's longing to spend time with you. And I know many of you are thinking, you don't know me. You don't know God. God loves you that much. The Lord loves you more than you could ever dream of. You pick a person that you think is in love with God and God loves them because they've just all got it together and God loves you a million times more than that. God loves you. His love is not conditional upon your performance. It's unconditional. God wants to know you. He, he wants to take pleasure in you. Adam and Eve, you know what they did? Before sin entered the world, it says that they met with God in the cool of the evening. What did they do? Let me just ask you, what's your prayer life like? The vast majority of people, you come in and start mentioning all of your sins real quick, hoping that if you mention them, God won't. 
So you come in and you repent of all of your sins and oh God, I'm so unworthy. And, oh God, I don't deserve this. And oh God, forgive me. And you just talk about how bad everything is. And then you ask God to give me this and give me this and help me to overcome this. And God help me to do this. And it's, you know, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy. My middle name is Moore. <laughs> gimme Moore. And that's the typical Christian's prayer life. And if you're a spiritual person, then instead of asking for all this stuff for yourself, you're praying for everybody else. Oh God, forgive them. And oh God, give them this. But what did Adam and Eve do? They didn't have any clothes to believe for. They didn't have any cars or houses to believe for. They didn't have any sins to repent of. They didn't have anybody to forgive. They didn't have anybody to lust after. What, what did Adam and Eve do? I don't know exactly, but I imagine that they would say, God, it was an awesome day. Beautiful sunrise. You outdid yourself. Thank you for how, thank you for this beautiful world. And we saw animals today that we had never seen. We saw this one that we named a duck-billed platypus. And it was like you had all of these parts left over and you just put them all together in one. That is just one awesome animal. And they say, man, the weather was just perfect. And this woman that you gave me, she's awesome. Thank you. And they were just talking to, and you know what? God just enjoyed hearing about what the day was like. They didn't have to repent. They didn't have to beg. They didn't have anybody to cast demons out of. <laughs> they didn't have any demons to rebuke. If you were to take all of our repenting and asking and binding and loosening and all of this stuff away from our relationship, many of us wouldn't have anything left. <laughs> Most of us, it's not about fellowship with the Lord. It's about repenting, trying to appease an angry God and asking for this and, oh God, I need that. I'm telling you, if we were to ever experience eternal life and start just enjoying the Lord and worshiping Him and telling Him, God, thank you for an awesome day. Thank you for things being as good as they are. Thank you that you've been so good to me. And if you just started praising God and if you had fellowship with God and enjoy His presence, by the time you got ready to slip in your request, you'd think, God, I forgot what it was I needed. You're just so good. Amen. You'd just go to praising God and worshiping Him and, oh yeah, the doctor said I was going to die, but Jesus, that would be awesome if I died. It'd be awesome if I die and it'd be awesome if I get healed because I'll just rub the devil's nose in it. So I don't care whether I live or die. Father, I just thank you. You're so good. That's the way that we ought to be fellowshipping with God. But few of us are because we haven't seen this as the goal. I'm trying to paint a picture tonight that God loves you and wants you, not just what you can do for Him. I was raised in the Baptist church and we used to have this little poem. We, I learned this as a kid, that Mary had a little lamb. It would have been a sheep but it joined the Baptist church and died from lack of sleep. <laughs> I mean, in the Baptist church, you had to do a work for God. You had to do something. You had to make God pleased with you by what you did. We were human doings, not human beings. I'm telling you, God loves you separate from what you can do from, for Him. Now, He wants to use you and bless and touch other people through you, but I'm saying God loves you. If you've never done a blooming thing for Him, 
If you're the sorriest saint in this room tonight, God loves you so much that he would just like to have you come say that you love him without asking for something, without bribing him, without feeling like you're priming the pump, saying, God, I love you so that you can get something from him. That you could just tell him that you loved him. Have you ever had your kids come up to you and, Dad, you're awesome. And you say, what do you want? I believe that the Lord feels that way. The only time we really praise Him is because we're priming the pump so that we can get something from Him. But in the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. They were beaten with whips and they were going to kill them the next morning and they were in stocks in the dungeon, their feet and hands in stocks. They couldn't even relieve themselves. They couldn't touch those things and somehow or another, you know, take away the pain. They couldn't do anything. It was terrible. And at midnight, the darkest part of the night, they got to singing and worshiping the Lord. And some of you have heard that story and say, yeah, they did that because praise is strength to steal the enemy and the avenger. It was their way of overcoming the devil and getting out of that situation. Nope. Because when the earthquake came, God got to listening to their praise and worship and patting his foot. And man, the earthquake came and it knocked all of the doors open and all of their chains fell off. And when that happened, nobody left. Not even the other prisoners, the rapists, the murderers, the thieves. They were so touched by the presence of God that these people who were going to be put to death all stayed there. They would rather stay in the presence of God and face prison and death than to leave and be free but bound on the inside. They didn't leave when the prison doors opened. Because guess what? They weren't praising God to get something. They were actually praising God because they just loved Him. With their backs beaten, their feet and hands in the stocks. And brothers and sisters, every one of us can have that kind of a relationship with God. So that if you're in bondage, if something has happened to you, if people are treating you badly, if your mate leaves, whatever's going on, you could have such a relationship with God that God is just awesome. One of my good friends, his wife just died of cancer last year. And I went over to see him to see how he was doing. And this was about four months after her death. And he looked at me and he said, Andrew, people think I'm crazy. But he says, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. He says, this is the greatest life. And he says, people think I've lost my mind. But he says, I missed my wife so much that I thought I was going to die. And I finally came to the end of myself and said, God, you've got to help me. God, you've got to touch me. And he opened up his heart and he began to experience eternal life. He began to experience God revealing himself. And he says, it's a shame that I had to wait until my wife died before I turned to the Lord that much. But he says, I have the joy of the Lord so strong in my life that I am happier than I've ever been in my life. And people were criticizing him. His own family members criticizing him as you must not have loved your wife. Most people can't accept that. You know, I've worked up to it tonight. And so some of you will say, okay, but if I had just come off the street and said that if a person had just lost their mate and can you still rejoice and can you be happier than you've ever been in your life? Most of you would say that you're in denial. You would have criticized that. That isn't even on our radar. Most people think that something's wrong with you if you're like that. 
But I'm telling you that you can experience God. You can love God and have His favor in you to such a degree that it's just nothing else matters. Nothing else counts. I'm not saying that we don't acknowledge that there's problems and there is, there's something wrong with you. If you ever get your feelings hurt, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying God's love, the supply is so much greater than the need that it's not even worthy to be compared. It's like you being thirsty and going to Niagara Falls trying to get a drink. Man, it just overwhelms you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what has come your way. God loves you and God wants to have an intimate, personal relationship with you and sustain you through all of that. There is nothing that overcomes what Jesus has done. There is nothing that compares with feeling His pleasure. And there are some of you sitting right here that don't even know what I'm talking about. You've never really felt total acceptance and the total love of God just overwhelming you. But I can guarantee you it's not because God doesn't want to give it. It's because we won't let Him do it. We don't feel worthy. This hasn't been presented as a goal of salvation. We think this is only for the super saints. This is only for the ministers or for the people that you know are really close to God. I'm telling you, this is for every born again person. God loves you passionately and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make Him love you more and you can't make Him love you less. But you can stop that love from being an experience if you feel unworthy and if you think that that's only something that takes place in eternity. If you don't know by the Word of God that this is what God wants for you, then it won't happen. It doesn't happen automatically. God doesn't force Himself on anybody. God's not the kind that'll come and just overwhelm you. He's a gentleman. He has to be invited. You have to welcome it. Do you know when I first experienced this love, I started seeing in the Word of God that these things were true. And the Bible says that you can have what you say. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, Proverbs 18, 21, and other things. And I had so much condemnation in me and felt so unworthy that I used to go stand in front of a mirror and I'd look myself eyeball to eyeball and I'd point my finger and I'd say, God loves you, Andrew. He loves you just like you are. He loves you as much as He loves any person that has ever walked on the planet. And when I'd say that, all of the hair on the back of my neck would stand up like, oh God, don't strike me dead <laughs> for saying this. It didn't make sense with the religion that I'd been taught, but it was consistent with the scripture that I'd been seeing. And I had to start speaking God's love to me and convince myself that God loved me. I didn't feel it but I saw it and I started speaking it and I began to start walking in the love of God. And I tell you, it's changed my life and I haven't done it perfectly. I was ministering to a woman this morning and I said some things to her and I said, man, that's the same thing God's saying to me constantly. I'm too hard on myself. I don't do it perfectly, but I tell you what, I've done it to such a degree that I, I wouldn't go back. I know it's the right thing to do and the good news is God wants to love you more than you want Him to love you. If you would open up your heart, if you'll receive this word that I've talked about tonight and say, God, I don't know how to receive your love. I've never felt worthy. I've spent my whole life pushing you away and waiting until we all get to heaven before I really believe in this. If you just humble yourself and say, God, I don't know how to do it, but 
I want to experience your love. And then don't look for just a physical feeling. Do it by faith. Receive it by faith and begin to start saying, Father, I do believe that you are pleased with me. I do believe that you love me. I believe that your presence is with me. And you start speaking the word and ministering to yourself. I guarantee you, God will show you his love. You could get addicted to it. It's addictive. You can get to where you don't ever want to live in a way that would shut off the spout and keep the love and the joy of God from flowing in your life. And you can become addicted to knowing God. God wants it. And I promise you, if you would do this, it would transform your life. And the good news is that instead, it, some of you are thinking, and if I did that, everything else in my life would just fall apart because I wouldn't be maintaining it. I wouldn't be praying and asking God to do this and that. I'd spend all my time just saying, God, I love you. Beautiful sunrise, beautiful sunrise. What, what would happen if I wasn't binding and loosening and doing everything? Everything would be a thousand times better. So much of our sickness is stress-induced. And if you were just basking in the love of God, a merry heart does good like a medicine. It would do better than any medicine that the doctors are giving you. You would get rid of strife, and strife is the inroad of every evil work. James 3.16 says, where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Sickness would leave. Poverty would leave. If you'd just go to worshiping God and enjoying Him. I tell you, it's a shame that most of our prayer life is all binding and loosening and you spend as much time talking to the devil as you do to God in your prayer time. If we were to just go to worshiping God and loving God, you'd find out you'd be healthier, you'd be more prosperous, you'd have joy and peace, you'd get along better with other people. Everything would work better. It's just the opposite of what you think. You don't have to keep all of your problems in your hand. Just open them up and start worshiping God and letting God love you. And as you do that, the joy of the Lord would flow through you. It would be your strength. You would see greater things happen than you've ever seen happen before. I tell you, brothers and sisters, God loves you. And let me say this. This is absolutely essential. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. The thing that changed my life, when I had this experience with the Lord on March the 23rd, 1968, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is sent to pour the love of God into our heart. If you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which includes a number of things, but it includes speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues is powerful. It's much more than something you do just to get a little goosebump or to prove to people that you receive the Holy Spirit. When you speak in tongues, it's just like flipping a switch. It's like turning on the love of God. It pushes you into a realm where you have to get beyond looking at the physical things, the natural things, the bad things in your life, and it makes you focus on the things of God. Speaking in tongues and the baptism of the Holy Spirit is where the love of God is poured out in your life. If you don't have this baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you don't speak in tongues, I can guarantee you, you aren't going to go very far in the message that I've preached tonight unless you allow the Holy Spirit to come because He's the one that reveals Jesus and His love to you. It doesn't come naturally. You aren't going to get this by just 
thinking through with your mind. You can't just grab a handle in the physical realm on the love of God. It has to come by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is sent to shed the love of God into your heart. If you haven't received this baptism of the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues, you absolutely must have that to experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit and of God's love. I believe that with all of my heart. And I know that there's some of you that think, well, man, they don't preach that in my church. That's the reason I'm not in your church. That's the reason I had to go rent a building. There's not a lot of churches that preach this, but it's still true. And I know some of you think, oh, I, I'm sad to find out you're one of those tongue talkers. I thought you were all right. I don't scream and shout and spit and have to have a handkerchief to wipe away my sweat. And some people just didn't realize I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit because I'm not your typical Pentecostal. And you came here under false pretenses. You didn't realize what you were getting into. But I'm telling you, I speak in tongues and you wouldn't have ever seen me on television or you, I didn't, wouldn't have been here if it hadn't been for the Holy Spirit. If you like the fruit, then I'm telling you, this is the root that produced it. And it's not right that you want to accept some of the things I'm saying, but then reject the very thing that caused all of this in my life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues is absolutely the root of what God has done in my life. And so, you know what? I don't care what your church preaches. I'm telling you, this is what the Bible teaches. It's what my experience is. There's many people in here who've experienced the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking tongues. How many of you speak in tongues in here? See, you're in one of those tongue-talking meetings, whether you realize it or not. They are going to talk about you. You are going to be guilty. You might as well get something for it, amen? You might as well let the Holy Spirit pour out the love of God in your heart and receive. And you have to be born again before you can receive the Holy Spirit. If there's anybody here who maybe you know that God exists, but you've never committed your life to Him, you have not experienced this eternal life, you haven't been changed on a heart level, you need to receive that. And it's really simple. Jesus has already died for everyone's sins. You don't have to wonder, will He save you? He's already done everything on His part that it takes for you to be saved. It's not a matter of will He save you. It's a matter of will you accept what He's already done. And here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's, that's all you've got to do. You've got to believe that He died for you, that he, he took away sin so that you wouldn't perish, but that you could have this eternal life. And if you will believe that and make Him your Lord, which doesn't mean you're promising you'll never do anything wrong because you can't keep that promise, but you're willing to turn your life over. You want to live for Him. If you would make Him your Lord, then you shall be born again. You shall be saved. Isn't, it that, isn't that simple? Is there anybody in here who'd say, I need one or both of that? Either I need to give my life to Jesus and be born again, and or I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit and this gift of speaking in tongues. Is there anybody here who'd raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to pray with you and help you to receive. Man, there's people all over. Praise God. Awesome.
We hope your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. It's the faithful support of people just like you who make this ministry possible. We invite you to prayerfully consider becoming a partner with Andrew Womack Ministries. You can call our helpline at 719-635-1111. Or you can write us at Post Office Box 3333, Colorado Springs, Colorado 80934. Remember, you can always listen to Andrew's messages at awmi.net. Until next time, we pray that you'll reach out by faith and receive everything that's yours through God's grace.